Okay, Keith. Yeah. Put your mid cough there. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good. Don't you find it great when people catch you? They ask you a question. It's like I think it's possibly like when you go to the dentist and they're being chatty and they just immediately start to ask you questions and you're, you know, just in no position at that time to speak. Well, given our situation at the moment, you can't even get to see a dentist, so I don't know. What that well, no, unless it's actually just for the extraction part. So, yeah, you know, yeah. who would want to? So you and I have met quite recently, really, just before all this shenanigans started to take place. Yeah. And just through snippets of conversation, I've understood that you've had quite a life. And what you do now is almost the result of that life in many ways. How did it start for you? How did becoming this economist, this practicing economist, start for you? It's, it's a really good question, but I, I think for me, uh, I, I've always been fascinated by people's stories. And my fascination, I don't know whether it was by detail or otherwise, but when I grew up in South Africa, um, I had serious questions going on in that country. Um, and not only in the country, but also, you know, in my immediate surrounds, when I was at school, uh, in the colleges, in the universities, and just in society in general. And I guess the, because of the situation in the early 70s, in, in that country, there was pretty much, you, you follow the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, there'll be consequences. And that wasn't just pervasive in, in normal society, it was pervasive in the schools, it was pervasive in family life, right? So everything there, everything that we, that we were up against there was, you know, toe the line. Um, and th there would be serious consequences if you didn't. Um, so at the age of 13, having returned from boarding school, um, I actually moved into my parent home, uh, having developed some kind of a consciousness around watching the world go by. And I had questions, but I didn't know where to go and ask them. Because if I asked them, any normal person, there would have been a serious questions around me. So I would have been called a rebel, or I think in the Afrikaans term, they used to call me an Easter. Uh, the, the, the direct kind of uh, translation there would have been Iron Man. It wasn't an Iron Man at all. All I was doing was asking questions about my world. Mm. Um, and then I just felt that I was being blocked off uh, and not asked for an opinion. And this, if, if everything in that in, in the world I lived in was, if you're academically smart or great on the, the, the sports field, uh, society accepted you. But your true thoughts were never, never asked. Uh, you were never asked for those opinions at all. 
And when you did venture to offer them, I mean, the amount of times I was being caned, like literally caned with a stick cane, um, or belted or beaten up, was just it's unbelievable to almost on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's 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 unheard of in society now, particularly I think since the the late seventies, early eighties in this country, particularly corporal punishment was was stopped. But I still remember it. I, I remember it well. Uh, I, I think I only got the belt once, and uh, that was almost by mistake because I was in the wrong place at the right time, which happened to be a habit of mine. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting though. Do you think that by being at boarding school, you had a different frame of reference to most 13 year olds when returning into the house? That you could ask those questions? Yeah, if, if I look back at uh, that life then, I, I, in a way, it was my saving grace. It was like, you know, I, I, I kind of, when I got back from boarding school, I kind of looked around and looked at how my parents lived. And I looked, and my mother was a socialite and my father was this really powerful man, and, um, you know, general manager of a huge mining company, um, which literally, you know, he was like the major domo in the town uh, and nobody crossed, you know, no, nobody crossed him at all um, and he used power very effectively like you know if you, you either tow the party line or you've got serious trouble and you know not only that this the whole society had this serious almost pandemic of violence it was okay to beat up a black kid uh, if a black kid beat up you uh, that there were serious consequences for them um, but you know uh, what you do is you, you're kind of walking away walking around numbed you know because you know you can't say anything or do anything um but there came a point where i said no i'm not putting up with this anymore and um and it was like the consequences were always so bizarre it was like right bring this man in uh, i mean i remember silly little incidents like uh, i had this one gym master um was a uh, trained PTI in the army uh, and he had us lined up rank and file uh, and he asked me something and I gave him what he called lip in other words I gave him an answer that he didn't want that was it boy I was marched off to the vice principal's office and flogged Um, and slowly but surely there was an anger growing in me and it was like saying to myself this isn't this isn't the way this is the way of my world and i still to this day have to ask the question why i was maybe so different um and and of course the system at that time would have rewarded me for my behavior if i would towed the party line if i'd you know been harder faster uh, that type of stuff um and then i was kind of looking for this, this overarching question, what would a good leader be? Is this good leadership? But for a, a, a guy who's in his teens, to be looking at his family system and his schooling system and his you know, education system, uh, 
for the answers was crazy because, you know, I was expelled from a university because I wouldn't join a, a local sort of neo-Nazi group. Um, it's just, you know, everywhere I went, it was just like, no. Yeah, it's kind of like when you... Do, you know, when, you, when you're in your teens, there are so many questions and really not enough answers. And but, you, you just... Yeah, but you, know, you see, the problem is that, the problem at the time is that the people that I was exposed to, that I was looking to for support uh, and some understanding or maybe, you know, some insights into, you know, something that may be different and not so pervasive and so violent, um, were just not there in my, you know. Yeah. They were just not there. Um, there were one or two teachers along the way where, I, where you could hear they wanted to say something, or I got a sense that they wanted to say something different to what you know, they, they could say, but not a chance. Um, they have to survive too. I really, really got to anywhere in my life after my military experience. I will say that my time in the military was a good one because I actually learned a whole bunch of other skills there, which I thought were very useful life skills. Uh, and then outside of, you know, boot camp and in, you know, in the bush where we were on patrol, you're the guys who used to beat you up on the, on the parade ground or while they were trying to get you fit, you know, for purpose, uh, you actually got to know them personally. And suddenly you realize that, you know, there's some pretty good guys out there and, and damn good leaders. Um, but if you go, went back into boot camp, they morphed into these monsters again, you know, because they had to. Yeah. Uh, because it's, all, it's, it's kind of yeah. what we know. It's what yeah, you know. the system demanded it of them. Yeah, and it's something that it becomes the default position. It's like the manufacturer's default. Yeah. You know, and if you're trying to actually look beyond that and you, you are seen to be different, then you must be destroyed. You must be brought back into line. Absolutely. Um, and it was... Uh... So I had to kind of choose my battles but i think the very first experience of 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 a really good leader was the base command and the temporary base on the borders of one of the country who was actually an infantry major um and i got to know him quite well but i got to know the man well so i respected his rank so i suddenly realized this you can actually get to know the guy well uh, you get to know his story well and then you know you have to understand the discipline of the system so that the whole hierarchy had to work as well and I've never never said that that's a wrong system or a right system. It was an effective system. But what was more effective is when you really got to know this person and his story. Um, and uh, you understood him and uh, it made life far more effective. Um, and I remember his disappointment when I was pulled out of that base and sent off to university only to go and be expelled a year later because I wouldn't join some organization. Um, but all through this thing, there's, it's, I would always think it would have been some kind of a rebel spirit. But I had serious questions about how people were treating people, right? Mm -hmm. And I had serious questions about how effective that was. You know, in, in the world, it was like, why do you actually have to behave like this? When in fact, all you need to do is sit me down one to one and say, how would you like to be led? What's important? How can you get the best from me? Uh, you know, how can I get the best from you? Uh, and just those ordinary conversational sort of interventions would have changed the world. Yeah, the, the traditional way and the way of, of being taught 
the 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 DNA situation is beat them till they actually fit into the mold. Well, that didn't really happen. Um, so I planned my escape uh, in my early late teens, early twenties, and I landed up in the bush again. Uh, my parents, my father, wanted me to be an engineer, so I could follow the family line of engineers and get myself into the mining world. And you know, uh, because he was such a big man in the mining world, my mother, you know, had a nursing background. She wanted me to become a medical doctor. And after two years in the military as, a, as an uh, accountant, surgeon, and a, and a medic, I was field based. Um, I just said, "This is not. This is not how I'm going to make sense." So I landed up prospecting for diamonds, working for a um, American exploration company in very remote parts of South Africa, and spent a lot of my time leaning over fences talking to the farmers. Mm. Like, how do you make this work? You know, you're in the middle of nowhere, and you've still got a nice viable farm. Um, and then also, I, I was given a bunch of colored guys, you know, people of mixed color to work with. Uh, and I was given a crew and four by fours and caravans and instruments. And I was said, off you go. Go and find diamonds. And I sat down with these guys and said, excuse me, blokes. Uh, I'm the boss. Um, you're the workers. Uh, you do as I say. And they looked at me and said, all right, we'll do. So what do you want us to do? And I didn't have a clue. Um, so we sat down and I remember this guy's, this guy quite fondly. Uh, his name was Thomas. And he sat me down and he says, you don't actually know what you're doing, do you? Said, oh, but you can't tell them. Uh, and uh, he, he eventually said to me, he said, well, let's sit down and figure out what it is we need to do. So I pulled out this map and these guys knew exactly what to do. And then I suddenly realized, but this is not what leadership's about. This is not what leadership's about. They, in fact, I was learning. I was the so-called leader, and I was learning from them. And some nearly 40 years later, I actually understood that that to be one of the most effective leadership approaches in the world today. Yeah, but I didn't know about it then. And I just thought, this is wrong, you know. First thing is, I wasn't in civil society in South Africa at the time. That was me sitting around a campfire with a bunch of my workers, right, who were people of color, was banned. It was, it was illegal. Um, and I thought, hang on, I've been resisting this for such a long time. And I suddenly realized that if you give these guys a work plan to work with, or they own it, right, and they have this very, very strong sense of autonomy, uh, and you let them go, they will outperform just about everybody. And that, that leadership theory is only like emerging now in the yeah. world where they are saying, oh, well, you know, these fifth order leaders are brilliant, right? I, had to, I learned that by default. I had to say, I, I'm not going to get this done. Unless I, I work with... I do understanding, though, that when you're saying that you were resisting the regime situation, you were actually permitting a situation you almost had a bubble where you were of how you were able to actually just allow things to take place by being open and honest and I think that's part of your character that that is the key to how you've got to where you were and yeah. are 
you know well you, well you know you've been and of course that that was that's where that sparked the whole leadership uh, debate in my own mind it was like like i'm sitting here doing things outside of normal society with a bunch of guys who i should not be socializing with and this understanding that if i do this you know i could be in trouble right mm-hmm. um and here was this weird contradiction when i was working with them like that and and they were covering these vox tracts of land you're talking about 10,000 20,000 acres you know and you know doing all the instrumentation was sort of land based and it was been it was once you know you were doing it like once every 100 meters uh, you actually had to put in the grid lines cut down the bush lines uh, and run all these instruments over this piece of land looking for you know a diamond bearing um body you, you you it was hard work but they, they knew they knew exactly what they were doing um and they did it so well i actually just i actually became their servant mm. yeah i was the guy i was the water boy um i was the guy bringing grub out to them i was the cook um and actually what you were doing were you were maintaining their ability to do their job well yeah you were actually facilitating them doing their job yeah but i mean in terms of performance systems these things are written about into you know there's books and volumes about you know this type of stuff when in fact i was experiencing it purely out of the fact that i needed them they needed me we had something we had to do um and if we actually worked with each other so now there's this this wonderful world called collaboratively right i don't even think that i knew what the word collaborative meant you know uh, in those days i didn't know that such a word existed but if i look at where i am so that it sparked that whole thing about leadership and and not only leadership economics like bringing them together and how do you make sense of your world and how can you be effective you know uh, socially how can you be effective with individuals and how can you be effective you know commercially because i took i developed a huge business interest in business and sustain the well-being of yourself the people you work with the organizations that you work with and and of course i thought everything that i was doing I knew I was going to have problems because if I actually wrote that down on a piece of paper in the way that I could describe it, I probably wasn't going to get a job. Yeah. You know, beyond that particular job, but there I was out in the bush, completely remote from the world. And here we were practicing a leadership approach uh, that was in modern modern times it would be it would be categorized as modern post modern leadership yeah it it's not a gopher mentality though is it i mean it's a case of you're allowing you're you're opening up the vista for the workers to grow into their own workspace which economically is good for for your company so they're going to let you kind of under the radar go and do that yeah yeah but you see the, the the thing the, 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 so so that started the whole thing about knowing myself better because most of my my adult life i would have thought that what i saw considered good leadership to be what it ought to be i was wrong meaning 
And I, and I used to walk around like muttering to myself. I think people used to think that I was loony. You know, and uh, at one stage, I think my father thought it would be a very good idea to have me sectioned and, you know, locked up. Because uh, I said to my dad, I agree with the way you, you, you treat people and or, you know, uh, put them down. And, you know, you've got to, you, this belief that you've got to have people submit to you and, you know, you are the ultimate authority and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just said, no, I'm not doing this. And, and somehow I managed to get away with it. But every now and then I'd, I'd, I'd actually come up against it somebody who would say to me, that's not the way to treat your staff. I mean, genuinely. Now, fortunately, the company I worked for was American. And fortunately, the guy who was my boss at the time was the most open-minded individual you can imagine, right? Um, and he was, when, I, when he used to come and visit me, he used to bring a big couple of cases of beer and some barbecue meat, and we'd sit down under the trees with the whole crew and have a good old natter about, you know, work and, you know, and, and, and get drunk and four or five, you know, chairs and, and go to bed. Uh, and then um, he'd say to me, he said, can you do this? I said, no. He said, I'll teach you, right? So he taught me some of the skills that the other guys didn't have. But together, I mean, the performance was phenomenal. Uh, and it wasn't like you were looking for it. It was just there. And then I started thinking to myself, so then what is leadership? So that was where the curiosity started. And the second curiosity is economics. So then when I did actually go to college and finish something, I excelled in, in economics and, and finance. Like, I mean, I was just getting distinctions. I was so nuts about this stuff. But I needed to be able to connect, you know, leadership to business. And uh, more recently, you know, to what sustains good business. You know, and good business growth. And uh, it all started literally when I, I, I used to call myself the greatest escape artist in the world. But then, to be honest, you know, as life unfolded and I eventually started working, uh, uh, I was recruited off the campus because I was apparently a bright bloke. Um, and I went into, to, I, the moment I back, went back into society, as we understand it, after college, I was up against these guys my way or the highway. Um, and again, got myself into trouble because, uh, you know, people wanted me to compromise my ethics. People were asking me to take, you know, take backhanders. People were asking me to collude with them, you know, so they could, you know, so there was piles of corrupt practices out there. Um, and I just said, no. Um, and it did come with consequences. It is weird though, isn't it? That mm. knowing that they're the way that they are, the, the people who recruited you and brought you in back into that kind of fold, actually went in and looked for someone who wasn't going to be of their ilk to a certain extent because they were bright and they were curious and they were thinking differently. And isn't it, isn't it often that sometimes these top-down leadership situations come in they pick these people so that they can actually make them work the way they do and try and gain from that somehow but are losing the whole point yeah but you you see for me there was i don't know where it comes from i often get asked by some of my friends i know that if i'd followed a certain route 
what I would call passage of rights mm-hmm. or the old school Thai elitist mentality. Um, with the connections that I had at the time, I could be probably looking at a nice big fat juicy retirement, but what you would have done is you would have moved yourself into a boardroom situation. You would have been, you know, you know, your, your opinion would have been asked and you would have had to choose your words very carefully. There's always going to be a very measured response. Um, and as long as you were kissing up to the right person and you knew who that person, it was all about strategy and tactics and all that kind of stuff. You have to know the dance. Appear in the right boardroom, uh, be connected to this person, and you effectively were just swept along. Mm-hmm. Your freedom to actually truly express what was going on for you was just not there. And I had to make a decision. And the decision was excru- excruciatingly diff- uh, difficult. And I keep on telling the stories, to a story about, there was a time in my life that I was having a little relationship problem uh, with my first wife and and I remember speaking to my father and I got one phone call one day, this is not without a lie, from the executive chairman of one of the biggest diamond companies in the world, right? To say, we might be able to help you, Keith. Now, just be patient with us. We've got the top job marked. If you're interested in it, you can have it, but you're going to have to go and take this job. So I walked straight into a directorship of a huge food, food processing company without as much as even meeting the man. But it's because of something. Now, meantime, you probably find there's some other guy who's been sitting there waiting for this job for years, and I just get parachuted in. Um, maybe I had the capabilities. Maybe I had the connections. And I just thought to myself, is that how it works? Is that how it works, actually? So you can imagine me arriving at this massive uh, business, uh, which ha- actually happened to be in, in, in West Africa, uh, East Africa, being walked in through the front door, right, without even as much as the CEO of that particular company in that, in that country having a say in it. And there you go. There's your new director, by the way. And you know how you got the job? That, that man. I mean, what was I doing? His head's exploded and people said, do you know what you're doing? And I said, yeah, that's scary. And uh, I don't think I have any regrets um, because it gave me something which I really valued a lot and that's my freedom to think. Yeah. And, and feel. And um, I think... That changed. That was one of the big changes. And then, of course, the favourite story is Mandela. When when Mandela, when we all got to know Mandela, that's when the, the real change started for me. Because then, um, I'd, I'd got to know, know about Gandhi, and then I got to know about, about Mandela. And and every time I, I was, I used to sit and watch him talking. I just thought. Where does this guy come from? And he actually was loved by everybody. Yeah. 
not just black folks, white folks. Mm. We all thought he was brilliant. Um, sadly, you know, he only took one term of office. He didn't take a salary. Can you believe it, President? Yeah. He's, uh, he's got the, the freedom of the city of Glasgow he was given. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we changed a, a, a place in, uh, in Glasgow into Mandela Place. And uh, it was where the South African consulate used to be. And um, he came over to accept the, the freedom of the city. Well, he was very unique. Um, but he was also, what I liked about him is he, he could handle contradiction. Yeah. And he could handle ambiguity. And he knew how to integrate them. So instead of being of an opposable mind, he said, well, there's this and there's there's the blacks and there's the whites, okay? So how do you bring them together, okay? Uh, and famously, I can't quote it exactly, his speech was uh, when he became, when he was inaugurated as the president, he said, no one should oppress the other. He didn't say black or white, right? And he meant it. Mm -hmm. And that was the other one. He also realized that from an administrative point of view, none of the ruling party that he represented had the skills of the, the white administrators yeah. uh, in, 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 in running a country. And he was very open to sharing that with them and the power. And he kept that alive till, you know, he left the presidency. But what followed him was, you know, if, if, if the reverse. It was absolutely uh, the reverse. And I've always asked the question, why, 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 you know, um, and I think it was Gandhi who said in his movie, when there was all kinds of stuff happening in, in India, you know, between the Hindus, I think, and the Muslims. And uh, yeah. in the movie, one of them came up, says, we must kill the Muslims or kill the Hindus. I don't know which, who said what. And he said, no, what you need to do, and the guy was a Muslim, is adopt a Hindu child and raise him as a Muslim. Yeah. And I just thought, And that's the way those men thought. Yeah. And that's why when the world looked at them, they said, we have never been exposed to this type of leadership before. So for me, contradiction and conflict are all rich resources. And, you know, if we can get, you know, elements of one view and elements of another view put together, and you come up with a view that is collectively better than both views, yeah, it's the view you identify with, isn't it? It's about identifying with the view. It's like in North America in the 1800s when white people started going over there and children were being actually integrated into Native American villages and people. And they were brought up as a member of the tribe. But they that was all they knew. And then all these... Cavalrymen would come down searching for white children, seemingly kidnapped. But what they were doing was using their view, their perspective, and saying that this, this kid must be having a terrible time and how bad it was that this was happening. But the child had actually been brought up in a situation where they identified as a member of that tribe. So they were they were countermanding a whole identity, a whole view. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't have a color and it doesn't have a creed. Yeah, look, look, there's, there are realities, and I mean, there are also 
tremendous exceptions to what we're talking about. You know, not everybody in South Africa was a bad person. No. Uh, equally, not every person in South Africa was, you know, a good person. Um, there were some who were so indoctrinated and propagandized into believing that theirs was the right way that any other outside of that would just not work. And all I can say is, I've, you know, I've got tremendous compassion for them. 